I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible tonight, to turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the Word of God. And as you're finding your place in the Scriptures, uh, it's a really strange time that we're living in. Today, once again, I went out to forage for food. Uh, I, I just uh, went from pillar to post and, and went out hunting. And uh, as I went looking for food, you know, I drove past the marijuana dispensary and there was a line around the block of people waiting to get in the marijuana dispensary. I drove again by the, the gun store and there was a line outside the gun store and into the parking lot. And yet it seemed like many of the other stores were just empty and shuttered. I went to the grocery store last night for just a few things, and it was a good thing I didn't want too much because it seemed like there wasn't too much there. And uh, people were uh, very serious about making sure that everything was sanitary, and I appreciated that. And uh, they wiped down the, the baskets as you, as you took a basket, and everyone was wearing gloves and masks. There was a, a glass shield between the customers and the cashier, and they had social distancing markers in the lanes waiting to be checked out of the grocery store. And you know, there was a strange spirit just within the store. It just seemed like, uh, the, despite the fact there was music playing, there wasn't really any happiness. There was no lightheartedness. There was no joy. There was no laughter. I saw people with serious, ashen faces. And I, I saw people talking uh, in rather stern uh, tones to one another. And I, I want you to know something. If we know anything, this world is a foreboding place. Coronavirus is just one indication of that. And what it has brought out of many, of course, we, we hear the stories of benevolence and kindness, the acts of love, but we know that mankind that is governed by fear often does things that later on um, are subject to question. And so, if it does anything for the believer, it ought to make us really yearn for heaven. I hope that you're as a believer longing for home, and home isn't the address on your street. Home for the believer is heaven. And you know, I can tell you this, that Jesus is going to come for us sooner than later. I believe the signs are all around us, and and the return of the Lord is just imminent. I, I was looking and uh, there are many folks that are just going all over the internet trying to find something that would cast some light on all that's going on and they'll find uh, videos or YouTube videos of people that are uh, making, uh, putting themselves on video and they've got a YouTube channel. It seems like anybody has a, wants one can have one. And, uh, and people are posting things up there and sending it along to me, and I look at that and I think, that's not even biblical what they're saying. That Well, that's not right. I mean, it sounds nice and they seem like really sweet people, but what they're saying doesn't even jive with what God's Word says. And I think that one of the things we have to be really careful of is to make sure that we rightly divide the Word of truth and that just because something might seem like it sounds pretty good at the time, uh, to make sure that it really comports with what the Bible has to say about the day in which we're living. I was listening to one person who uh, was trying to say that uh, pretty soon we're going to be forced to take the mark of the beast and uh, was putting forth the case for that and using the coronavirus as one more reason why uh, the health officials and the government were going to try to constrain people to take the mark of the beast. And and uh, he was encouraging people to stand fast and not take the mark and things like this. And folks, I just want to tell you something. Um, when that time comes, those really that know the Lord as Savior now are not going to be here. <laughs> We're going to be long gone, man. Uh, that's going to be something that happens well into the tribulation period. And uh, so uh, we, we need to make sure that we get that right or we're going to be unduly and unnecessarily out of our ignorance concerned about things that we need not be concerned about. And so I just want to challenge you to become people of the Word and not just believe what everybody says that might sound a little bit like the truth, but make sure that it is something that really is in agreement and accord 
with what the Bible teaches. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tonight, and the Bible says in verse number 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive his things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Father, tonight I pray that you would teach us by thy Spirit from thy Word. Open the eyes of our understanding and draw us closer to the center of your will for our lives because of this time spent together. And this we ask in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight I want to bring you a Bible study entitled Groaning Tabernacles. Groaning Tabernacles. A tabernacle is really a tent. In fact, if you look it up in your word studies and go back to the Greek and you check out in the Strong's Concordance and all of that in your lexical age, you're going to discover that the word tabernacle, it means a tent or a temporary dwelling place. And uh, my mind goes back to camping trips. And I can remember uh, one year we went uh, to Colorado with the men of our church and uh, we had a wonderful time and uh, we were uh, having a service and it was a, a wonderful service and men were getting right with the Lord and they were praying and confessing and getting right with one another and, and it was one of those sweet evenings and it kind of went late into the night around the campfire and, and uh, it was winding down and I was getting kind of tired. It was about time to head back to the tent uh, to bed down on the cot in a sleeping bag and uh, I remember uh, I didn't happen to have my flashlight with me, and so someone just kind of shone their light down toward my tent, and I just kind of stumbled my way down uh, to the tent. And uh, there were a few guys that saw what was going on. They kind of shined their flashlight down there. And uh, when I got to my tent, I was feeling around for the zipper, uh, and uh, I, I finally found it. And uh, I had a lantern in the middle of my tent, and I didn't want to just stand up when I got inside the tent because I figured I'd probably hit my head on that lantern. So I thought I'd kneel down, I'd feel around for a little flashlight that I had there uh, right by the entrance of my tent, and then I would use it to turn the lantern on. And I, I, I zipped the flap up on my tent, and I, and I remember I, I stepped inside of that tent, I kneeled down, and I tell you what, just about the time that I kneeled down inside the flap of that tent, I heard a roaring and a growling, the likes of which scared the life out of me. I'm telling you, it was for certain a grizzly bear that was about to come through my tent and just devour me. I mean, it was roar! And I mean, out of the darkness of night. And I'm telling you, 
um, listen, I, I would have stood in line at Costco for, uh, for toilet paper that night, I'm telling you, because I needed it. But uh, the, the truth is that I, I was on my knees, and I came up off the floor of my tent, no, uh, no less than about three feet, I'm telling you, and my heart was palpitating, and I was hyperventilating, and I was laying on the floor of the tent holding my chest, and all of a sudden I hear just unbridled laughter. Oh, 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 oh. I thought Santa Claus was outside of my tent laughing, and lo and behold, it was Lloyd Godsey who thought he was going to have some fun at my expense. He almost had to carry me down the mountain in a body bag. I'm telling you, I thought I was going to have a coronary right there. In fact, I'm still plotting his demise. And Brother Lloyd, if you're watching tonight, I haven't forgotten that. And I can't wait till we go back up on the mountain. And uh, you know, it's interesting, he came by the office a couple of weeks ago and he gave me a gift. And you're not going to believe what he gave me. He gave me a flashlight. <laughs> and if I didn't need a reminder, he gave me a reminder. And, uh, and I told him, listen, I almost died here, and so did you, because I had a loaded weapon right there on my cot, and it's a wonder I didn't use it on you, brother. And, uh, but, you know, i got to tell you something. In a minute, that tent, it was roaring and growling. And the fact of the matter is, our tents, which really are a metaphor for our body, our tabernacle, they're groaning. And that's what the Bible teaches us. You know, if you're here tonight, and I just did that, you'd probably think my neck needed a little bit of oil because it's creaking and it groans a little bit. Uh, when I wake up in the morning, every once in a while it takes me a few minutes to get upright, you know, and, and to have to kind of stand under a hot shower and, and uh, to be able to, to stop some of the squeaking and creaking that's going on in this old tabernacle. And, and the fact of the matter is that we're living in bodies that are breaking down and decaying, but God didn't make them to last forever. Did you know that? Uh, really, they have a shelf life of about three score years and ten. And sometimes they last longer than that. But the reality is, God didn't intend for our bodies here on this earth below to last forever. That's why they're called tabernacles. They're tents. Folks, I love camping. I think you, you probably that have gone camping, maybe you like it. If you talk to my wife, Linda, camping for her is staying at the Holiday Inn. And some of you ladies, you're sitting there on the couch going like this to your husband and saying, yep, that's camping for me too. I, this is a holiday inn, you know. And really roughing it for you is staying in the Super 8 Motel, you know. And, and uh, But uh, camping is a holiday inn. But I'm going to tell you something. You, you stay for two or three weeks. If, if you're used to sleeping in a bed and having all the comforts of home, you, you go camping for two or three weeks. And man, i got to tell you something. You're ready to go home. <laughs> you know, and folks, i got to tell you something. I've been long enough in this old body that any time the Lord wants to call me home, He can do it. And the fact is that there are some things that we need to know in these groaning tabernacles uh, that the Lord has set forth for us. And, and the Bible here says in 2 Corinthians 5, and verse number 1, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I want you to notice, first of all, we know. Something we know. And, and what is that? We know that if somehow this, this temporary dwelling called a tabernacle, this tent that we call a body, if it dissolves, if it breaks down and we die, we have a building of God. And house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. You know, I've got to tell you something. The Bible tells us that the Lord has gone to prepare a place for us. But do you know what else? He's going to give us a glorified body. When this old body finally breaks down and gives out, I have a permanent, eternal, heavenly body that's in heaven that's not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. So this body is just, it just has a life span of about three score a year and ten, you know, and uh, that, that's all uh, that, that the Lord ever intended. Some people live longer than that, but you know, if you have more than the 70, thank the Lord that by reason of strength, the Lord has blessed you. But understand this, that God never intended these old bodies to be preserved cryogenically so somebody could come back and try to figure out a way to, to revive and resuscitate that old broken down body. Uh, listen, I'm going to tell you something that it's going to continue to wax worse and worse. It's going to 
grow more tired and, and more weary until finally you're just ready to go home and be robed upon with your house, your building of God that's a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. The Lord is going to prepare a body for you. And I've got to tell you something, that glorious body, it will last forever. And folks, you're never going to get old. I, I like that idea. You know, um, I uh, had somebody tell me the other day that uh, old age is for the birds. And I, I, I said, you know, I, I understand that, but it sure beats the alternative. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the fact is that, look, we have this body and it's breaking down and, and we want to be clothed upon with one that feels good and one that doesn't have aches and pains, one that isn't racked with arthritis and, and, and one that's not weary all the time, uh, one that uh, uh, you know, doesn't get rashes and have tummy aches. Uh, we, we want a body that's free from all of that stuff. But you know, I think one of the things that's most exciting to me is the fact that that glorified body is not going to have a desire to sin. It's not going to have a desire to do all the things that we do that are not good for these temporary dwellings. Uh, we're not going to have a desire to overeat or oversleep or any of those things. In fact, uh, when we see Christ, we won't have to do any of those things. The truth is we're going to have a perfect body and it will be free from the curse of sin. And of all the things that I can think about in that body, that's the one that pleases me most. Now, uh, folks, sometimes people think about, well, I'm going I'm to have muscles like I did when I was a young man. Folks, whatever your muscles were like, it's going to be nothing compared to what God is going to prepare for you and what you're going to receive. What, what, whatever you think was your best year in your life, it is just a faint glimmer of the glorious body. And we know that. Here we find an absolute verity and a certainty. We don't wonder about it. We don't question it. It's what God said. We know. Just like we read last week in Romans chapter 8. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them are the called according to His purpose. And so we, we know that if this body breaks down and dies for the believer, that we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I, I think that's something great to know, don't you? And I'm glad that we have that hope. And that when we step out of a body that's racked with pain and fatigue and, and breaking down uh, and limitations and hardening of the arteries, and a stiffening of the joints, and, and uh, we could compare scars and medical histories, and we won't do that tonight because we don't have enough time, do we? But, but when we step out of this body, we're going to step into a glorified body, free from pain, free from suffering, and what a wonderful, wonderful day that that will be. I want you to notice something secondly here in this passage. The Bible tells us in verse number 2, for in this, meaning in this tent, we groan. Hence our, our title for tonight, Groaning Tabernacles. For in this tabernacle we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life, now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. I want you to understand that we're groaning, here the Bible says, in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. So I want you to notice, secondly, we desire. Not only, number one, do we know, but secondly, we desire. We desire. What do we desire as believers? What ought we desire? Well, the Bible says desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. Desiring to be with the Lord. Now folks, i got to tell you something. I know a lot of professing Christians just like you do. And yet, I don't know a great many of them that necessarily are desiring to be with the Lord. I, I Look, I don't have a death wish. I'm not saying I want to go on the next load. I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, that any of us needs to have a, a death wish. But I'm saying that, look, 
It ought to come to the place in your life as a believer where you're so convinced of the truth of the Word of God and you're so rooted in that that no one can threaten you with heaven. Sometimes uh, people ask me questions like, what would you do if someone put a gun to your head and said, renounce Christ or die? Well, I'd like to believe that I would stand for Jesus just like you would like to believe that you would do that. But you know, I, I tell folks oftentimes, listen, you can't threaten me with heaven because the Bible says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. That's right. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I want you to hear what Paul said there after that in Philippians 1. He said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he wasn't afraid to die. He said, look, that's gain for me. That's not loss. Sometimes we talk about death in terms of a loss. It's a terrible loss. And, and I understand that just from a human perspective. But you know what? Paul said death for him wasn't a loss. It was a gain. And then he said, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I want not. So he said, look, if I continue here, uh, the fruit of my labor is to be able to invest in you and to give you the gospel and advance the cause of Jesus Christ. And so then he said in verse 23, for I am in a strait betwixt two. In other words, he was in a valley of decision, torn between one side and the other, de having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So here again, he tells the church in Philippi, my desire is to depart and to be with Christ. Here he tells the Corinthian believers that I'm desiring to be clothed upon with my house from heaven. I wonder if you could say in your heart that I'm so in love with the Lord that my desire is to be with Him. Not to have a bigger house down here. Not to have more money down here. Not to have more worldly provisions down here. But to be clothed upon with your house that is eternal, not made with hands, that God has prepared for you, a, a body that's free from pain and suffering, that can be a glorified body that will be like His, and whereby that we can glorify God and enjoy His fellowship throughout the endless ages of eternity. I wonder if that's truly your desire. You see, for the believer, our desire should be to be delivered from this world and delivered unto the Lord God. And something that I want you to see that's absolutely wonderful about this is the fact that the Bible says in verse 5, Now he that hath wrought us or created us for this selfsame thing, in other words, that we would be clothed upon and spend eternity with Him in heaven. It says, Who hath also given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Now, you might just read that, and if you read it quickly, you would think that was kind of random. Okay, He also did this. Why was that also put in there, that He also gave us the earnest of the Spirit? Well, it's to underscore point one, what we know. And help us to have a greater desire. We desire. Why? Because He gave us, the Bible says here, the earnest of the Spirit. Now what is an earnest? What is earnest? It's a pledge. It's a promise that He made. What's the promise? Look, I'm going to go to heaven and prepare a place for you. And if I, come, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And God said, Look, I'm going to give you the earnest. I'm going to give you the down payment of the purchase possession that I'm going to redeem one day unto heaven. And you know, that was the Holy Spirit of God who sealed us. And friends, that's wonderful to me. That earnest, that down payment. God's not going to say, well, I'm going to take it away from you and you can't have it now. No, God gave us that down payment to seal us as a promise that God made. It's kind of like when a young man and a young lady get engaged, and that young man puts a ring on the finger of his sweetheart, and, and, and that's that engagement ring, that's him saying, listen, 
I am committed to you and I am going to marry you. She puts it on as a token and expression of her willingness and desire to be married to Him. And the Holy Spirit is kind of like uh, that for us. It's God giving us a token, if you would, that He is going to consummate this spiritual union when He comes to catch His bride out of here and redeems us unto glory. And praise the Lord, for seven years we'll have a, a wedding celebration the likes of which coronavirus could never impede upon. Amen? And uh, so we desire, I'm desiring to be with the Lord, but thank God He's made us that promise so we know it. And not only do we know it, but for the believer that's in love with Jesus who's going to come and catch his bride away, we ought to have a desire for that as well. And folks, uh, we're not walking around in fear. And folks, I'm trying to practice social spacing and I'm washing my hands and using hand sanitizer and taking precautions and we're doing all the same here at the church. But my friends, I'm going to tell you something. You can't threaten me with heaven. Listen, for me to live as Christ, praise the Lord, I get to live the life of Christ, but to die is gain, it means I get to be with Him. And folks, that's a desire for me. Why? Because I have set my affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And though I love my family, and though I like certain things about this life, I'm going to tell you this much right now, that I love Jesus more. And so if Jesus desires to call me home, that's His decision to make, and my desire to keep. And He has given me His Holy Spirit to seal the pledge and promise that He has made unto me. I want you to notice this in verse number 6. The Bible says here, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Three statements are made here in these verses. It says, we are always confident, we walk by faith, and we are confident. We are always confident, we walk by faith, we are confident. And so, hence I, I submit to you thirdly, that not only do we know, and not only do we desire, but thirdly, we believe. We believe. Now, folks, we don't live our life based on how we feel. Now, I realize that that's how many people live their lives. They live sensual lives, which means you live your life by feeling. That's what it means. Now, there are many people that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and the Holy Spirit of Jesus came to live within them at the very moment of their conversion. But they are living a sensual life. And by that I don't mean necessarily that they're involved in, in moral impurity per se. They may on face of their life at first glance look like they've got it all put together spiritually speaking. But do you know what? Um, they live their life like this. Well, it's too hot. I don't feel like going to church. It's too cold. I'm not going to church. Or... I don't like fried chicken. I can't believe they would say that. I'm not going to the potluck. It doesn't taste good to me. Or I don't... Everything is a decision based on the senses, the carnal senses. How do I feel about that? Not what do I believe. Folks, they, they may not be involved in some egregious sin that everyone would uh, be able to identify, but, but rather they're not walking in the Spirit. They're not living their life on the basis of what they believe. They're living their life on the basis of how they feel about things. And they're making decisions based upon how I feel about that. And the truth is that we're called to walk by faith. Now, I would remind you of this, that the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And we remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 3 where Paul said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he said is your work of faith. In other words, what Paul was saying to the church in Thessalonica was this, that you did what you did because of what you believed. You did what you did because of what you believe. My friends, do you believe that Jesus is coming again? Do you believe that 
Now that you've trusted Him as Savior, that you're going to be robed upon with a glorious body and you'll live forever in heaven with Him? Do you believe that one day you're going to stand and give an account for the things that you have done in your body for the Lord Jesus? Do you, do you really believe that? How do you know? Well, you say, I know it because the Bible tells me so. But folks, I'm going to tell you something. There are a lot of people that have an academic knowledge of the truth, but they live their lives as though it were not really true. So, my friend, it's one thing to know it. Something else to desire it. But folks, we must believe. Because if we believe it, it, it adds some uh, sense of meaning to the desires of our heart. And I want you to know that the Bible is telling us something that we need to really lay a hold of. For it says in verse 8, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Here's what I believe. I believe this, that when I draw my last breath on this side of heaven, that I will open my eyes in the very presence of Jesus. That's what my Bible tells me right there. That's not something that I, you know, I think, or I suppose so, or that's what I read in a book once. No, that's what I believe based upon the truth of the Word of God, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I wonder, are you living out that belief in your life that one day you're going to stand in the very presence of Almighty God? So that moment in which you take your last breath on this side of heaven, just like that, you will open your eyes in the very presence of the Lord. Because why? We are confident. We believe this. And we're willing to believe and to have this happen. To be absent from this old tabernacle that's groaning and to be present with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know what? There's no fear in that. So, you know what? When I face the coronavirus, I don't want to get it. I don't want my loved ones to get it. I don't want any of you to get it. I hope that the Lord heals everybody that's got it. I hope that the scourge of this pandemic is removed from the globe. But my friends, look, if it continues to creep around the globe and if it continues to infect others, I cannot live my life with fear because I know some things and I desire something and I believe what the Bible said. So I'm not living my life with fear. I'm living my life by faith, which is entirely juxtaposed to a life of fear. You see, God has not given me that spirit of fear. The devil wants to impose fear into hearts. What God has given me is power and love and soundness of mind. Why? Because I know what His, His Word says. He's placed a desire within my heart, and I believe what God has said. And so, I want to tell you, uh, I've done in my ministry... Uh, somewhere around 900 funerals. And there have been many times where we've gathered together and a casket's been in the front of this pulpit and folks are gathering about and, and talking before the service. And, 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 and almost every time someone uh, will say, well, they're in a much better place. They're in a much better place. And, uh, you know, I think, well, this person never made a profession of faith. This person never really went to church or showed any evidence in their life that they had a relationship with God. They, they didn't even own a Bible and, and uh, they didn't live their life to indicate anyhow that the Spirit of God was in them. And, and, I, and I just think, listen, are you just saying they're in a better place because you want to send them to a happy place in your mind because otherwise you could never deal with uh, the woefulness of the reality that they may not be in heaven? Sometimes I, I, I stand up even at a funeral and people think, man, it must be insensitive of you, but that's a time for, for reality check. To be sober-minded at an event such as that and to say, listen, is this something you know or is it just something that, that you wish for that they're in a better place? You know, God's Word is emphatic. Here Paul says, look, we know, we believe, we're always confident I want you to know that, look, we can, we can approach this life, come what may, with confidence in knowing that what God has said is absolutely true. Folks, I, I want to live my life in such a way that there's no question in people's minds that when I die, hey, I'm in a much better place and I'm in a better body for sure. And, and, and listen, we can know that. The, the Word of God says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name 
of the Son of God. There are folks that say, well, I, well, I hope I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go. And it's like pitching a penny and wishing well and hoping that you're going to win the lottery. My friends, uh, you would have more uh, chance of doing that than wishing your way into the, uh, into the city of heaven. I, I, I'm just simply saying that the Bible speaks in verities and absolutes not in wishes and feelings. And so, friends, we need to live our life by what we believe and take a stand on thus saith the Lord. That absence from this body is presence with the Lord. Praise God forevermore. You know, uh, last June my grandma, a hundred years of age, stepped out of an old body that was broken down and hurting and aging, and she'd lived well beyond her three score and ten, and she wanted to make it to a hundred, and she did. And, and folks, when she took her last breath there in that little bed there in that house on Colorado Street in Cortez, Colorado, she opened her eyes in the presence of Jesus, because absence from the body is presence with the Lord. She didn't go to purgatory. She didn't go to limbo. She didn't go into oblivion. She didn't die like a dog and go into the ground. She went into the very presence of Jesus, her Savior. And I can't think of anything more desirable. I can't think of anything more comforting at a time like that. My friend, uh, these old tabernacles groan, don't they? With all that this world has to put upon them, with the stresses of life that wear away at the lining of our stomach and give us migraine headaches, with, with all the aches and pains of aging that come along. But you know what? We have something to look forward to. And I think that it's maybe God's way of making us, as we grow older and draw closer to heaven, look a little more forward to the glory that is awaiting us. I want you to see this quickly as we draw our study to a conclusion, the Bible says in verse number 9, Wherefore we labor, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. I want you to notice, uh, fourthly, we labor. We labor. We know, what do we know? <laughs> Well, we know that God's uh, preparing a body for us, eternal, that's not made with hands. We, we, desire, we desire to be clothed upon with that body, and not to be unclothed, not to be in oblivion. And, 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 and we believe that absence from this body is presence with the Lord. But knowing all of this, the Bible says, wherefore, because of all that we know, what do we do? We labor. We labor. Number four, we labor. And the word labor here in the Greek, literally means to be ambitious. What it means is we're not just sitting around uh, doing a little of this and a little of that, or we're just kind of getting busy on Sunday, or we, we just roll down to the church on Sunday and, and, and do our little thing. No, it means that we're ambitious about it, that we're getting busy about it. It means that we're going to occupy until Jesus comes. And that word occupy that we read about in the book of Luke and the book of Matthew, it, it, it means this, that we're going to work till Jesus comes. Praise the Lord. We labor that whether present or absent. Whether we're present with the Lord or He comes to get us in the rapture, whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. And that doesn't mean the Lord's going to accept or reject you. As a believer, what that means is that, I, that my life of service may be found acceptable unto God, well-pleasing to the Lord. I am, as a believer, accepted in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not made acceptable unto a thrice holy God because of anything that I do or anything that I choose not to do. But I'm acceptable to Almighty God because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross of Calvary. And if I'm trusting in anything other than that, I am in woeful condition and so are you. The reality is this, that there's a difference between being accepted and that which is acceptable. And my friend, my children are accepted by me, but they may do some things that to me are not acceptable. They might uh, do some crazy things like squeeze the, uh, the toothpaste from the bottom of the tube. Uh, they, they might clog the toilet paper into the commode and cause it to overflow. And while I accept them, that's unacceptable behavior. And the reality is that God will always accept me as His Son. He'll always accept you as His child if you know Him as Savior. 
But the life that you're choosing to lead and the works that you engage in may not be in the economy of God acceptable. The behavior that you choose to employ, it may not be acceptable behavior. And so then there's a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. It says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And this is a reference to what Paul spoke of in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he talked about the judgment seat of Christ. And there, the sins of mankind are not going to be judged. You're not going to be judged for your sin because your sin and my sin was adjudicated at Calvary. Praise the Lord. And it was laid upon Jesus. My sin was imputed to Jesus. And he took the the payment for my sin and yours on the cross of Calvary. And there's no double jeopardy in the, uh, ju- ju- the justice of God. Once sin has been paid for, it doesn't have to be brought up again and paid for again. That's why he said there's sins and iniquities. Will I remember no more? And so what this is referring to is those things which we have done in our body for the Lord. Whether we did it out of a pure heart or whether we did it out of an impure heart. Whether we did it... Uh, for means of self-aggrandizement to advance selfish and prideful ambition in our lives, or we did it for the honor and the glory of God because we love Him. And so we labor, we labor ambitiously because we believe and we have a desire to be with the One that gave His life for us and we know that it's true and He's preparing a place for us. And so, my friends... We know, we know that we're going to have a house and God wants to have us robed upon with that that will never pass away. We desire to be with the Lord, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon. And, and we believe, we, we are always confident, we walk by faith and we are confident, we believe some things and we live our life based upon what we believe and, and then we labor We work for the Lord because we love Him and we're grateful for the promises that He has made and the confidence that it inspires in our hearts to continue on day by day believing that what God said is true. But my friends, we could never leave the message right there. Because you see, God did not intend for you to have this knowledge and to take comfort in this only to bide your time in your place with your loved ones until we see Christ. No, we have to read on. For in verse 11, the Bible says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Lastly, would you notice with me in this message entitled Groaning Tabernacles, we persuade. We persuade. Now listen, when it says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, that doesn't mean that we're trying to scare the daylights out of everybody and say that God's going to get you. That's not what that's talking about. Because Paul understood the Lord to be a God of love and mercy. A God whose mercy endureth forever. But he also knew that one day he would stand and give an account for the things that he had done. And that was an awesome thing because he knew that his God of love was also a God of holiness and justice. And, and, and listen, that wasn't a bad thing that he needed to be afraid of, but he, he just understood the power and might of God and he stood in awe and wonder of that. And I contemplated that uh, one day, and I, I, I can uh, remember years ago, one of the sweetest men that ever attended our church was Brother LaCroix Johnson. Brother LaCroix was, uh, he was one of the happiest, most jubilant men that you would ever meet. Uh, he really, I think, personified the joy of the Lord. I, I know his wife, Cookie, is watching this service tonight, and she's probably nodding her head saying, Amen, and preacher, you don't know the half of it. And, uh, and I, I know that uh, he didn't mind wearing the pink shirts that his wife bought for him, and they would laugh about that and cut up. And I, I, I tell you what, that guy just came in and he lit the whole room. And, and uh, I can remember that uh, he spent many years working as an electrician. He was a general manager of, a, of a, an electrical company and, and uh, many years uh, uh, the, uh, I think, Electrical Workers Union. And, and uh, everybody that knew him loved him. 
I can remember one day uh, he was at my house and he was working on a light fixture, helping me install a chandelier in the entryway of my home. And we were talking about electricity. And he said, I'm scared of it. <laughs> and I just kind of thought, you're an electrician. What, do you, what are you afraid of electricity for? You have, you have to work with electricity. Well, you know, I, I came to understand what he meant by that. You see, we enjoy the benefits and the blessings of electricity. We have light. We have heating and cooling because of electricity. We have a means to charge things that are important to us. And we can cook and, and, and clean dishes without having to go through the, the process of doing it manually. And we're, we're thankful for all of the things and grateful for all of the benefits and the blessings that electricity can provide us. But those that see a bare wire exposed that's a hot electrical wire... If you just grab a hold of that bare electrical wire, all of a sudden, you'll understand the terror of the electricity. <laughs> and uh, from that moment forward, you know what? You're going to have a respect, if you survive it, you're going to have a respect for its power and what it can do. You'll be thankful for all the benefits, but you'll also understand its power. And you'll stand in awe of that. And so Paul understood the power and the majesty of a just and a holy God. And because he knew he was going to stand before him, he said, we're persuading men. What are we doing? We're telling others, look, Jesus is coming again. And if you die before he should come, you're unclothed. And God wants you to be clothed upon with a house not made with hands that will be eternal. And we persuade people to come to a place of believing, a place of persuasion, so they like us can also desire to be with Jesus. So what do we do? We're persuading people to be saved so that they too can have the joy in knowing Jesus. And so that when they pass from this life, their loved ones can gather around this casket or an urn or whatever it is on that day when they memorialize a departed loved one. And people can say and know and believe and have the confidence that you are in a better place because you went to be with Jesus in heaven. That's why we persuade men. Because look, I've been to the services where people mourned and wailed and wept because they had no confidence in their heart of where their loved one was. And the reality was that in all likelihood, they split hell wide open. And because we love God and because we care about others, we persuade them to come to a conviction of what the Word of God teaches. And we know that one day we're going to stand before the Lord and give an account for those things that we have done for Him. Praise the Lord, we're not going to be judged for our sin. If that were the case, we would all go to a devil's hell because that's the only just punishment for sin. But thank the Lord that Jesus Christ took that punishment in His own body for us. And we know uh, that we have been passed from death unto life. And we know that we have eternal life because God wants us to, number one, know. So that number two, we can desire to be with Him also. That number three, we live our life based upon what we believe and not how we feel. And then we labor with the understanding of these things and we persuade men because we're convinced of the reality of it. Folks, we're living in tents. We want to be freed from this. We don't, we don't want to spend our life in a KOA campground that's raining all the time and slogging around in the mud and going to the outhouse. No, we want to enter into a palace that God has made for us. You know, there's mansions that the Lord has prepared for, for us. I don't know about you, but I'd like to move into one. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm ready to move into my, my mansion in heaven that He's been more than 2,000 years preparing for me. How about you? Now, folks, it doesn't take me a whole lot of convincing to want to get out of the tent when you put it in those terms. I can remember years ago, um, I was uh, just a little boy. I was, I was probably about 11, 12 years old. My my folks took us out to the farm in Colorado, and we were uh, spending some time with Grandma and Granddad and, and aunts and uncles and cousins. And, and I remember that uh, the decision was made we were going to go camping, and we were going to go up to Groundhog Reservoir, and we were going to do some fishing. And I can remember that that was the, the most exciting thing that I could possibly think of. And, and all the cousins were going to be together, and, and uh, me and my, my brother Paul and... and uh, uh, Stephen was just a little guy at that time, and my sister Elizabeth, and, and uh, we were going to go up there with, with, with uh, my Uncle Steve and his, his kids, and, and we were so excited about that. 
And we were going to set up tents, and we were going to be in there with our cousins. But we got up there and set the tents up, and man, we started fishing. And, and man, we just started slaying them. We were catching fish left and right up there at Groundhog. And man, it was awesome. And, uh, and, and so we caught our limit. And uh, remember the adults were getting, getting everything ready. And, and we were all excited to get inside the tent. And we were being silly and goofy inside the tent, just like boys do when they're camping out in a tent. And uh, we're laying there and we're telling stories and we're telling our fish stories and we're talking about the one that got away. And, uh, and all of a sudden, I think it was my cousin Brett, looked in the corner of that tent and there was a big old scorpion in that tent. Now folks, i got to tell you something. You didn't have to try to encourage me to get out of the tent. You didn't have to try to drag me out of the tent. In fact, I think... <laughs> Uh, I, I, I got out of the tent in record time. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Metaphorically speaking, this world is filled with scorpions. It's not just the coronavirus. It's, just, it's not just financial hardship. It's not just that you, that you have aches and pains. It, it's, look, God never intended for us to live this way forever. He didn't make our bodies that way. He wants us to desire heaven. And you know... It won't take much persuading when you truly know and love the Lord to get out of the tent. And folks, I'm grateful tonight to say that I believe that God loves me. I believe that God loves you. And He's preparing a place that's eternal in the heavens for you. And my job is to persuade you to believe that from the Word of God. And the, and the Holy Spirit really leads you to that. And... Uh, and to encourage you, if you have never done so, to take Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of sins so that you can say, I know, we know, we desire, we believe, and so we labor and we persuade men. May that be an outline for the lives that we choose to live. Father God, thank You for Your Word Thank You for the hope that it inspires within us all. Lord, I pray that we would live our life in the light of this truth. And may You be glorified. For this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus.